When Netscope CEO and founder Sanjay Berry left his role with well-known Juniper Networks, he knew the internet and the way we protected ourselves virtually was changing. The issue is that while Sanjay knew companies needed to leave their old security tactics behind, convincing members of the C-suite that they needed to invest in new security measures is a very difficult task. So he showed them why it was important. Without them telling us anything, we uncovered all their shadow IT, all their data that was being exfiltrated, not by malicious people, but by their own employees who just didn't know better. It's so apparent that people don't know where their data is. And by showing them where their data is, their eyes open to realize, oh my God, I'm exposed. Sanjay is working to make security more proactive, less reactive, and more educational via his new venture with Netscope. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Sanjay discusses how companies can up-level their security techniques, why SaaS applications are leaving your data unprotected and exposed in areas you might not realize, and why it's time security companies start educating their peers on best practices. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have Sanjay Berry. He is the CEO and co-founder of Netscope. Sanjay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So we always give all of our guests an opportunity to tell us exactly what their company does. You're the CEO and founder of Netscope. What do you guys do? Absolutely. So our focus is making sure that organizations, enterprises across the world can leverage the new way people work, work in remote, for example, and do it securely. So our focus is protecting enterprises from threats, theft of data, while enabling them to work the way they want to, leveraging cloud, leveraging the internet, working remote, and so on. And so our category, as many people would call it, is something called Secure Access Services Edge. It's a redefinition of the market of data network security to a new cloud security edge. All right. So explain that to me. Yeah without using the your industry buzzwords sure. because totally no <laughs> because, i get it because i think of this cuz I'll, I'll and let me frame up my perspective on this i've worked at different companies that are let's say remote first so or maybe they're even cloud native first so we didn't really depend too much on too much enterprise security everyone just kind of logged into public cloud if they were developers they would have maybe vpn rsa access so that would get them to their development instances so there's a lot of audience that doesn't quite understand exactly why enterprises needs connectivity security solutions like netscope kind of frame it up for me like what's happening in the marketplace what's happening with your customers and why products and services like yours are needed to begin with totally totally so just if you step back the single biggest market in security people spend close to 30 billion dollars a year on is this market called data network security and what is that it's the stuff that you heard of like web gateways you know firewalls um, data loss systems proxies they're all boxes that sit somewhere in your network. It's the biggest market in security. Um, the problem, there's two problems with that market. The world has moved on, meaning one, 67% of people work remote and 
people don't want to go back and VPN to their corporate network anymore. They want to go straight to the internet, straight to cloud. And so one, the location of those boxes is wrong. Um, it's forcing inefficiencies, performance problems, too much expense. And so people said, wait a minute, I don't want these boxes at my perimeter. I want this edge in the cloud where no matter where I am, I have great fast access to my resources and I have this security on-ramp, right? That is everywhere in the world. And you know, with us, we're 15 milliseconds away from anybody in the world. It doesn't matter what country, what city. And it's this virtual cloud end. So one, the change and the way that people are working remote, partners accessing things necessitated the change in location of your security in this market. Two, the language has changed. And so this is an important point. Every 10 years, maybe 15, the language of the internet changes. So reality is you remember way back when Palo Alto Networks came out and, and they said, hey, we're gonna beat Cisco and Juniper and all these folks. And it's because the language of the internet has changed and it's all about application identification. The reality is that that has happened again, 10 years later. And now the world and the language of the internet is APIs. It's JSON, it's all, you know, that's how applications are built, the internet is built. And so as a result, all of those systems that you spend 30 billion on that sit in the wrong location, <laughs> they don't understand the language. And so I'll give you this great example, sitting with this CISO. And she said to me, hey, um, Sanjay, okay, this is about four years ago. She goes, look, I got these systems. I got these proxies. I got this firewall. I mean, what more do I need? And I said, what are they telling you? And she goes, well, I don't know. They're, they'll tell me there's, you know, 500K of data going to Amazon. And I, and I go to her, I said to her, I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that? I mean, I don't know, a quarter of the internet goes to Amazon. <laughs> she, goes, she goes to me, she goes, yeah, actually, I don't know what to do with that. And I go, well, it speaks the wrong language. Stick us in. Sticks us in. And I our system tells her, actually, that guy's on Slack on a public channel sending a credit card. And by the way, it is 500K of data going to Amazon. They're both right. And I go, what do you want? Which one? She goes, I want the second one. And that's this point. The language of the internet has changed. And so this concept of Netscope is put your security where you want in the virtual edge, no matter where people work, it's there and then speak the language that the internet speaks so you can set and protect your data in a much better way. So that's a short, long summary for you. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, I mean, let's dive into that example because I think this is a fascinating thing that is worth exploring. You mentioned before so much of the tra world's traffic goes through public, you know, AWS public cloud, let's say with Azure. I agree. Like that's exactly because you have cloud native applications they're building there. You have consumer applications that maybe you're not supposed to use at work. <laughs> they're built there. Uh, Netflix, for example, or I might be on Azure cloud because I'm playing Xbox One live during work. I don't want, you know, I'm not paying attention. <laughs> so you talked about, you mentioned before, like the old way was that it was more maybe destination based. Mm -hmm. That's the way to, I would describe it. The data would indicate, hey, your traffic is flowing in and out, egressing and ingressing out of uh, one location, in this case, AWS servers. And you're saying Netscope's application actually says, hey, I can read the API calls. I know what services they're using. So I can tell you a breakdown of different services that are being accessed. I can tell you big services that, let's say you're not subscribed to, maybe shouldn't be accessing, right? <laughs> um, as well as, and well, I guess there's other applications as well. 
what I want you to talk about is if that is accurate, then how or what is it that Netscope is doing that is up leveling, let's say the the modern security infrastructure? Because you are right, absolutely, so much of our services is done over public clouds. I mean, that's just the way it is now. Yeah, it's so. Here's the like this. I always say this: like security is only as good as your understanding of what the user is doing in the transaction. And so, like, if I thought, hey, there's finding a cable on Amazon versus hey, that guy's on Slack in a public channel saying a credit card. I'd have a very different policy, right? Because I'd be like, wait a minute, I don't want credit cards going on a public channel if I'm a financial institution. And so when you think about us and you think about the reality of an enterprise today, the average enterprise has over 1,000 SaaS applications. 95% of them are not owned by IT. And so, and they never will be. And so the reality is if you're a CIO or CTO or CISO, you have to realize you live in a world now where your business units and your end users, in many cases, choose what applications and services you're using. And you can't just shut them down because they chose them. You need to live in a world where that's reality. It's BU and end user-led IT, but from a securities perspective, your goal is in that environment, how do I still protect my data and protect my users. And so what Netscope does is it says, look, you don't have to tell us what you're using. We don't even require you and IT to own what your people are using. We will find what people are using. We will understand what they're doing and what data they're transacting with. And we're not a visibility tool. We will actually put guardrails around that usage. So oh, you're going to FreakShare, which is an unsanctioned cloud storage app. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop that. But wait, you're going to a Dropbox personal instance. Okay, you know what? You can use it. But guess what? You're not storing any sensitive, you know, personal health information, credit card data, IP or our company because Netscope's going to see that transaction and stop it. Oh, wait, you're using Office 365? Okay, that's great. You can store sensitive data there, but not if it's publicly exposed and not if it's a personal instance. And so you start to be able to now set policies and rules that let your company take advantage of this great technology. You don't fight your business units, right? Instead, you kind of embrace them and you say, look, I'm gonna put this guardrail around this usage to protect the company, but I'm not gonna inhibit you, right? And take it a step further, there's billions of websites hosted in private infrastructure, public cloud, all over the place. You can now blog on those websites. You can chat. You can post. I mean, I'll give you this example. There's a financial who blocked all social media. Okay. And, and there, are people, there are people who are coming to a meeting. They come to me and they go, um, guess, you know, we couldn't see who you are because we couldn't look you up on LinkedIn because it's blocked. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like, we got to stop that. We have to enable you to do that. And those type of things, which, you know, enable people to do that. But hey, yeah, I get it. You want to block LinkedIn because you don't want your people posting sensitive data on LinkedIn or derogatory information. Guess what? You can do that with Netscope. You can say you can use it, but we'll stop the things you don't want. That's kind of how we're moving security forward by moving the company forward instead of just going, sledgehammer and stopping all these great things. 
So that was a great explanation. And so I'm going to paraphrase you for just a second. The old school way is you actually take full on domains, register a full on domain as a service that you can't use inside of a network. And your methodology is saying, no, I'm at the transaction level. I'm not going to allow specific transactions. So you made an example earlier. I can use OneDrive if it's my, you know, at company OneDrive account, but I cannot use my personal at Outlook, you know, yep. Big Daddy 55 yeah. at, at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, a step further, you know what? You can use your personal, just you're not going to use it to transact with any company data. Like use it only for your own personal data, but we're not going to let you put company data there. So is the security, does it extend all the way into the actual individual PC? Because you're talking about company data. Sometimes let's say company data is a Word document, sensitive information on a Word document or a PowerPoint file or a Quip file. It does, you know, whatever file tool people use, that's the information. Is it, does it extend into the, like you're able to see the file types, origin, sources, things like that prior to upload? You're, at, you're actually measuring, monitoring, and, um, you know, protecting against nefarious acts at that level? We are. And we're not doing it by doing it on the endpoint per se, because, you know, people have iPods, they got Android devices, Chromebooks. And so we don't have a requirement that any of that functionality is done on the endpoint. Instead, what happens is, as they transact and it goes on the wire, right, to that destination, we're in the middle there looking at it and understanding, yeah, okay, wait, that's his uh, personal, you know, that's a non-corporate device accessing a corporate application. Um, okay, that's allowed, but you know what? Mm, if that's the case, he can only view data. We can't allow him to take down sensitive data down to his personal device. Oh, that's a corporate de device. That's actually saying a personal instance of OneDrive attempting to store company CAD files. No, not going to allow that. And so you get, you're right. You, we look at, for an enterprise, the ability to look into any of that content within Word docs, CAD files, image content. I mean, we have neural networks that have designed to find people trying to steal passports and driver's licenses. They're just screenshots or images. And it's one of the most, you know, nefarious things that people are after now. If you're an attacker, you're trying to steal people's uh, sensitive data. But guess what? You don't steal documents, you steal images because it's so hard to find them. Mm -hmm. We spent years just refining the ability to detect sensitive data within image content because that's what attackers want. And it's really one of the great things through, especially this situation in the world that we feel good about is protecting healthcare institutions who are subject to some of the most, you know, twisted people in the world who try to take advantage of them during this time. You have, you know, retail institutions, online retail, you have health, uh, financial. And um, for them, you know, this uncertainty in the world, it is the nirvana of attackers. And to counter that and yet let your company work, you need to have this next level of understanding and this edge where you have an ability to govern where your data is going. And that's ultimately what we're about, protecting your data, protecting your users. No, that's awesome. And so I, I want to ask you, because because you had a really cool role prior to doing Netscope, in my opinion. Uh, you were at Juniper, so you were always in the network space. Like, you know, we checked you out on LinkedIn, obviously, like you just mentioned. Uh, you know, you got background, computer engineering, electrical engineering, business administration. You went to Waterloo, Stanford, yeah. Berkeley, like smart guy. Curiously, you your previous role, you were the executive sponsor of junior engineering operations. I'm assuming like you literally were 
the person helping the next wave of engineers develop applications, products for Juniper. So you oversaw that program. When did you know that this opportunity, which would eventually become Netscope, existed? Was it your idea while you're at Juniper and you're like, oh man, I got to do my own thing? Was it someone you met that kind of introduced you to this concept? I'm curious how this idea came about and how you, how you cultivated it and eventually built it into a business. It's a good question. And so look, I think it's fairly simple in the sense that you know, I spent my life um, a lot of times with CIOs and CISOs and CTOs and, and so on. A lot of people go, what? Really? I want to do something else. Be like, no, I like that stuff, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, what I what I would see is that they would be spending all this money from an application point of view on you know these SaaS apps, cloud apps, so on. Yet you look at their security budgets, and you'd say, well, they're still buying the old thing, the boxes, the things that speak the wrong language. And what is always being clear to me is that security lags the decisions about where your data goes and what your users are doing. Security always lags that. So the data moves somewhere and your users start using new devices and transacting before security catches up. And it was very clear to me that this had happened, right? That security had not caught up to the new way people were working. And as a result, um, you know, it's just very apparent. And so for myself, I love building I love innovating, you know, building great teams. And I left Juniper, took some time off and decided, you know what, this is a generational problem. This is something where I want to, you know, build a legacy. Uh, I want to do it with people that I love working with. I want to build a culture that I want that's open, fun, collaborative, and uh, I want to go big and do it. And that's, that's sort of the genesis is I left, took some time framed that idea and so on. Then, you know, as I learned through my studies, I, I'm a, I suck at engineering. That's kind of what, kind of what Waterloo and Stanford told, you know, I, after I graduated, I was like, okay, I think I just spent eight years realizing I suck at engineering. Hey, you got in, you got in. So you had to be somewhat better than engineering than others. I mean, well, what I realized was, hmm, you know what? There are some amazing people out there who, I mean, just, uh, capabilities that you couldn't even grasp sometimes. And those are the people, right? When I started Netscope, I had a hit list. Okay. I shouldn't say it that way. Not a hit, but uh, you know what I mean? Something better you should say than that. Yeah. Yeah. A recruiting list, but 50 people. And I'm like, these people, I, you know, they're good people. They're collaborative. Uh, and you know, in the beginning of a company who you're hiring, right? You're hiring architects and engineers. And yep. so I went after that list and uh, we got pretty much every single one. And, and that was the basis of the company. And has always been, it's just really great R&D talent that um, wants to go big and build a platform. Wait a second. So you had a list of 50 of your top architects, engineers, web developers, yeah. you name it, technical skilled people. Yep. You said, these are the people I most want to work with. Yeah. You pitched them on your idea and all 50 said, Sanjay, we want to join you. <laughs> no, not all 50. There's about two that got away. <laughs> <laughs> Still, 48 people. I feel like, wait, was this pre, I got to ask, was this pre-money or post-money? Because- Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like if you, if you were to walk into a venture cap, I, I'm just, I'm just going to say, like, if you were to walk into a venture capitalist office and say, hey, I'm one of the top engineers from Juniper. I have this idea. Here's a list of 48 engineers that want to join me. Yeah. <laughs> like, they'd be like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So here's what happened. Like at, at Juniper for the last- 
five years, I was running a business unit. And so I was a GM, I, you know, there was engineering, marketing, you know, say all the other pieces, right? This is my continued realization that I should not be <laughs> the engineer. And so, and so I've been doing that. And instead, when I left and took some time off, I first took my first three people for, you know, uh, distinguished engineers, architects, they joined pre-money, right? Wow. And in the end, pre-money, we probably had about seven, eight people. And I actually took my first round of funding relatively quickly. We didn't have, obviously, no product, had some slides, maybe a not the greatest ones, but the reality is, you know, people knew, wait, he's right. This industry is changing. You got the right pedigree of people. These are people who are committed. Um, and, you know, look, the reality is I got to know the venture community, you know, a decade before, right? Yeah. I was buying companies uh, as part of, you know, Juniper, uh, or I was, you know, advising them or other things. And so after we did that, we got the rest because you're right. Like if you just think about people, they got families, they got X, there's different risk rewards. And while you may get the first eight to 10 who have that high tolerance, the next kind of want to see, okay, well, hmm, <laughs> you know, I could at least yeah. support my family and get paid a little bit. So yeah, that's how it worked. Yeah. I'm thinking about this because in 2012, I think this is right around I mean, the timing's really great, right? This was right around the time when that B to C to B sales model had started happening, yeah. uh, where people were inventing applications that were at the consumer level that were being brought in and carried into enterprises. You know, we interviewed Cal Henderson from Slack earlier, but like that was like one of the, you know, that's one of the most famous cases and that's 2014. So two years after, you know, where so many people were using Slack and carrying it into the organizations where they're just scaling up. So you had mentioned before, obviously you were at Juniper, you could see this coming. You were already, you, you mentioned you see this coming. So you recognize the problem and the opportunity that was there. When you first started developing this, this tool set, this application, certainly there had to be roadblocks, stops, barriers, because, you know, in 2012, because I'm thinking back to the organization I worked at, I think B to, that B to C to B was just emerging. It wasn't happening that often. So I'm assuming that you would eventually talk to, uh, let's say, a CEO of another company where they'd be like, Sanjay, this is not a problem. Like, <laughs> I don't see what you're talking about. Yeah. Look, I tell this to people, like when you're building a company and, you know, even look at, you can, you know, folks that obviously you've interviewed, you know, externally, many times when you're building a great company, it looks like a straight line up and to the right. Right. But when you get in, my God, it's a jagged, you know, down up line. And I tell people, if you look at the line in the company, you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's a, okay, we're up and to the right. But yeah, there's a lot of hills and valleys. When you're like 100 feet away, you're like, oh, that looks like a straight line up and to the right because you don't see the internals. And it's the same thing with a company. It's like you hit people who go, what are you talking about? This is the biggest market in security and it's dominated by these people. And you're going to try to build something to go up against that? Yeah give me a break. Two, um, cloud. Okay. No, we don't use cloud. Not going to happen. Yeah. We're never getting rid of our data center. Yeah. Three, I could give you more people who said no, or said that's not going to happen than people who said yes. And that's just the way it is, right? When you're many times building a company and it's not just product fit market. It's, it's also for them around, you know, okay, do I know these people? Where am I going to put my money? It could be around 
uh, how people tend to uh, always lean to the incumbents when they're thinking about how hard the road, when you challenge, you know, some of the traditional big incumbents are. And so, yeah, they're, they're all those roadblocks, but, you know, nothing good is easy. And um, the reality is the people that I let, you know, invest and that I partnered with, they're the people that you would, you know, go to war with. They're the people who believe in it in their heart. They're the people who stood by us throughout and you wouldn't want anybody else. And so this is one of the things I tell entrepreneurs is, look, if you are spending too much time trying to convince somebody to invest in your company, they're the wrong person because you need to realize that as you build a company, you're going to go through valleys and you need people who in their heart believe in where the world's going in a similar way that you do. And in those valleys are going to be there to kind of continue to power through it. Right. Versus the people who, are, who don't have the intestinal fortitude or the commitment. You don't want those people. And so that's I think it's also a really good filter for companies to think that way. So one of the things that has to happen early on or at part of your company's growth and for every developer and technical team we talk to, they always they always they have a story of like this where it's like that one time where you you've stopped or solved a big problem or prevented in your case, since your security, it's got to be you prevented, but you prevented something big. And that customer cannot believe you were able to do something for them. And that usually is like the fire or the fuel that says, okay, we're on the right path. This is the path to take. I didn't know if you had a story like that, that you could share like early on in your company where Netscope was able to yeah. wow, you know, wow and amaze a customer. Because obviously if you can't wow and amaze a customer, then you're probably not doing that great of a job, to be honest. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, for us, it's, um, it's fairly um, simple to see um, because here's what we did in the beginning would go into an organization. And uh, after we listened in many cases to the, we don't use SaaS or public cloud or uh, it's not us. Remember, this is back in, you know, 2012. Yeah. And they'd say, yeah, we don't use that. We don't allow that. We don't, we'd go in and we'd say, okay, not this again. And basically we'd turn our system on and we'd show them, um, actually you're using 742 cloud apps. And by the way, in half of those, there are sensitive financial data being stored there. And by the way, here it is. <laughs> and that kind of for them, oh, oh. So like you were able to like produce a CSV of every P card in their organization. Like, hey, here are all the credit cards in your organization. <laughs> Very quickly without them telling us anything, we basically for them uncovered all their shadow IT, all their data that was being exfiltrated. By the way, in many cases, not by malicious people, but by their own employees who just didn't know better. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the way it is. And so it's just, it's so apparent that in the world, people don't know where their data is. And by showing them where their data is, you know, their eyes open to realize, oh my God, I'm exposed. So it sounds like right out the gate, you had, you know, when the application was working, people saw you were revealing information that they could not believe was happening. They thought they had, let's say, rock solid, airtight security policy principles, procedures, whatever you want to name it. But then you were able to say like, well, actually, no. And we've talked to some other you know, people in technical security. They always talk about how people is actually always the factor. It's never like you, people always want to say that technology is going to stop and prevent everything, but it's never it. It's always the people that are yeah. causing you the problems. <laughs> look, I think there's a stat that says, you know, if you look at um, data that has been lost or stolen. I mean, you read about it every day. Someone stole, you know, personal information, millions of medical records, 
I think every school I go to, I get notices that their my data has been stolen from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who does it? You probably got a note from all you. I was like, hey, by the way, I've, I've gotten I got him so much from schools, but the hotel industry for sure has told me, hey, we had a compromise again. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> you know. And so I, but you look at like why in many of those, you know, ninety five percent of those are because their own users who are you know not malicious people put data in the wrong place. They made it exposed publicly. They stored it in a place where there was no controls. And so I think one of the big things that security needs to do is it needs to be a system that dynamically educates their end users and coaches them to do the right thing. And so what we do and what we've focused on as well and throughout my career I have is, look, security shouldn't be the thing that stops you. It should be the thing that protects you and then educates your end users to become better so they don't put you more at risk. And then when they do put you at risk, security is there to catch them and then coach them again. And so it's got to be this iterative thing because ultimately your users, they're your weakest point, but they're also the you know fabric of the company. So what's going to be the future for Netscope? Because one of the things that's always challenging for I think particularly uh, security companies is not only our view, of course, stopping all the bad actors from happening right now. Uh, you're constantly, you know, you're constantly being forced by market, just market explosion, right? The more market services are available, the more things you have to recognize. And that's not going to change. So arguably today is the fewest amount of SaaS applications you will have to monitor for now until the end of time. You know what I mean? Like right now, this moment, it's the fewest you're ever going to have going forward. And so how do you plan to adapt to the, the changes? Because you, you mentioned the, the language of the internet, you said changes every decade. It's probably going to change faster than that in the future. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, yeah. I'd love to hear your philosophies on how you want to push development, security in a way that can handle all these different tools, applications, services that are going to continue to, to come up. Yeah. So I'll tell you first, and it's an, I'll tell you first my answer from a non-technical point of view. So one, you know, the reality is in security, you must invest heavily in R&D. Like if you're investing 15, 17% of your revenue in R&D, it just doesn't cut it in security, right? And so one, one of the problems in the security industry has been that companies have started, they've grown and they become public. And then you see what happens. They cut their R&D. You saw this with Symantec, right? Cut their R&D, went downhill, got bought by private equity, who cut their R&D even more. <laughs> McAfee was passed around, right, in the private equity space. Same thing yep. there. And so one of the fundamental problems, which is not a technical problem per se, is that in security, security companies become big. And when they do, they become beholden so much to public market metrics that they forget what got them there, which is ultimately in security, your product, your investment in technology and ability to anticipate what comes in the future, that's what matters. Not listening to somebody in the public market um, who's a you know, financial analyst saying, hey, uh, what are you gonna do about that last point of X, Y, Z? Because while that may look good for the next few quarters, you will lose your bearings. And in security, you can lose your bearings very, very quickly and go down the drain. Because attackers don't operate that way, right? Uh, they're investing in R&D. Yeah. And so for me and for our company, we have a focus and we structure the company this way, that we have in a large investment in R&D that works on things that are 
anticipating the future. My CTO office for, is only working on things that are potentially five, 10 years out down the road. And so the, a new language that comes out or a new way of working or a new methodology of communicating between apps, we're going to be at the forefront of that before it ever happens. And many of us have learned that by watching the industry. And some people have learned it the hard way by being part of those companies. And so that's like the 10,000 foot answer without going into all the details. But I do think that's the key. How about culturally? Do you, what kind of culture do you build outside your organization that continually promotes this type of investment into new languages, new applications, new services? Because certainly you have to do something to encourage people to go investigate these new things. Because if you wait, like you said, if you wait before to be, uh, you know, widely adopted, you, you might have loopholes in your system or, or so on. One of the big reasons that um, I've always wanted to make sure that we built a company that was a legacy and so on is I wanted a culture that fit the way I think, you know, companies should operate. We're very, our culture is open, collaborative, it's transparent, sometimes too transparent. <laughs> and so what does that mean? Like, it means that people can question anything. We have less value of, um, oh, this is your actual you know, position uh, and you lead this team, you know, ideas come from anywhere and everybody knows that in the company. In fact, they're metriced on it every year. You know, the six cultural traits, we hire that way. And one of them obviously is this notion that, look, you know, if you have an idea or you think we can do something in a better way or so on, we're going to encourage you to do that. And you should never have roadblocks to bringing that up. And the reality is those type of innovations they come from individual contributors. They come from your architects. They come from a field SE. And one of the biggest inhibitors often to getting that out there is that they just don't have a cultural framework where they can elevate it, get any airtime, let alone get it you know, funded and moving. And so I think the fabric of our culture encourages that. And then also, look, in security, I think you need people who understand the industry and the product leading your company. Uh, you don't want folks who just flood the market with sales and marketing only. You want people who understand ultimately, you know, the trends, what's happening in technology. And so we make sure that in our key positions as well, we have people who understand that. So we don't just listen to what people say. We think of it and think of where the market's going. Lastly, we have a lot of friends in the industry, CIOs, CISOs, CTOs, heads of networking. They're on the ground working, fighting the good fight every day. And they are so valuable as input and feedback and pragmatic thinking. And so having your tentacles into the external world, customers, you know, people, luminaries, others, you got to have that. So you have this massive flow of information in. So it sounds like this is the type of place where if anyone brings, let's say an experimental project, to the table, this is something that Netscope is going to encourage to like, well, you should at least investigate. What is that? Yeah, totally. Yes. So we have, uh, for example, we have a CTO office as well. That's, you know, folks who, you know, for example, drive a lot of our work with the teams to drive a lot of patentable, you know, ideas even or information. And so if you have an idea, you obviously bring it, you know, to that group that is relevant. Like, you know, for example, the ability to detect image content you know, with these neural networks, people in our data science team just had these ideas and they surfaced them and we worked with them and go, you know what, let's go fun. Let's go do that. 
And so, yeah, I think that culture helps um, the ability to bring it up. And then also having this center location where you have the CTO office, which is made of some of the most humble, you know, people, like a lot of people think a CTO office, like, oh my God, I can't talk to them, but ours is the opposite, right? It's just a, such a humble set of people who really accomplished and, uh, and want to encourage others to come forth with their ideas. So I think there's like the, and I want to hit on this is I think there's this pervasive belief or maybe it's just my belief, uh, I believe where people that are in cybersecurity, security overall are paranoid. Are they, they worry a lot. You don't seem to worry much, Sanjay. I mean, not, not what kind of personality traits do you think you have that are, let's say helpful, helpful to, you know, operating a security company because, you know, you, you kind of set it from your 10,000 foot view, which I thought was very analogous to like, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, you're almost like a pilot, right? No matter how many years of great experience, if you have that one mistake, that might be it for you. And so that's kind of what happens with cybersecurity companies. Like, you know, you're, you're charged with a big task. If you have a breach or something happens, you already know the game. Uh, you know that the customer might start shopping. Let's, that's like the least of your worries at that point. But you get, you get it. You're in the industry. I'm curious, how would you describe your personality? You seem very upfront, jovial, gregarious right now. I don't know. Do you, are you secretly paranoid? Like, how? <laughs> I think like, look, I think the focus for all of us has to be, how do we move forward? Right. And the reality is whether you're a CISO, CIO, CTO, you're a CEO, some other company in the cyberspace, you're, you know, in the standards forums in the world, we all know who our enemy is. And our enemy is somebody who we don't know. They don't have a name many times. We never see them, but they're out there every day trying to steal data, trying to take down our users, trying to trick them. And I think the cybersecurity industry is sometimes united by this concept that um, there is a common, unnamed, unseeable many times enemy. And for myself and for others, what gets us up is the notion that, look, when we work on what we do, we are protecting innocent enterprises and people and their end users from those folks. And if you worry, right, and you're paranoid, you want a good dose of that. But the reality is that doesn't help you build, you know, necessarily wake up every day and build great product and, and get it out to the industry and, and take input. And so our vantage point is this, is look, we know where the world's going. We know that our job in it is to provide a platform and a system that can enable our you know, partners, enterprises to stop against this common enemy. And there's no point in being you know, worrying and sulking and so on. It, it's ultimately about producing something and a system that can help people. And the way I look at it is my job is to unite people on that mission. It is to give them the unchained ability to innovate and, and make sure that we drive our culture of collaborating and openness everywhere in the company. We're over a thousand people, close to a third of the Fortune 100. You know, we're a worldwide company now. And so make sure that as we scale, we keep the traits that, you know, got us here, culture, innovation, and a focus, you know, on the common goal. And then the last thing for us is a lot of us, this is our legacy. Like we don't treat this as, hey, this is a job and this is, this is our legacy, right? And for us, that means that we take care of it like it's, you know, our, our, our family. And as a result, you know, just like in your family, even though you worry about a lot of stuff, right, you 
you wake up and you're positive and you drive it. And, and that's kind of how I treat it as well. And so that's why. <laughs> Listen, Sandra, your energy is, and I think your energy comes off as, you know, super energetic, super positive person. I can see why people like working with you because it sounds like you're the type of person, right? Like you said before, if I have an idea, you your, your question's not why, it's like, how, you know, how do we make that happen? Not so much like, why would I do that? <laughs> so Sanjay, what we want to do now is we close each interview with the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. And this is where we ask you questions, simple questions, simple answers so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Great. All right. Real quick. You told me earlier, but where were you born? In Toronto, Canada. All right. What is the biggest difference you've noticed between Toronto and now the Bay Area? <laughs> Besides weather, don't give me the obvious weather, culturally, like people wise. <laughs> people don't like hockey as much. <laughs> so, Are you a hockey fan? I'm a hockey. I, I drape my walls with hockey and, and people are like, what? What's that? <laughs> will the Leafs ever win the cup again? Oh my God. Yes, they will. All I hope for is it is in my lifetime because they have not won since 1967. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember the legendary. You, I don't want to bring up painful memories, but uh, you know, Game Seven up against the Boston Bruins, uh, like that was that was yeah, a heartbreaker if I've ever seen one. Were yeah. you? Did you watch that game live? I watched it with my Boston sales team. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I'm like, and uh, don't tell me the amount of. But that's the fun of the culture, right? Hey, they could rib me as much as they want. They knew it's all. Good. Did you lift their quotas immediately? Oh, of course. Come on. You know, yeah. <laughs> I could do. <laughs> if you weren't in technology, what would you be doing? Uh, I'd love to play in the NBA, you know, but I'm too short, can't dribble well, and don't shoot so good. So that's going to be a problem. <laughs> that's that's going to be a problem. So you're a big sports fan, love the Leafs. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, you love the Raptors. What about, what about outside of sports? What do you do if you want to get away for a day or a weekend? Well, for me, family time, I got a daughter, uh, take my daughter out, go biking, go hiking, you know, used to watch a movie, something. So family time, I mean, doing what we do, friends, family, that's kind of the cherished time. And so anytime you can spend it with your, you know, family and then also your friends, just hanging out. That's what I love to do. There you go. sounds like you like to be outside though, more so than going to like, I don't know. It's so nice here. I, you didn't say bars or bowling. So, you know, you'd say outside hiking, all that good stuff. You know, I'll tell you a story. I know it's late around. Minus 20 Celsius is where I grew up. When I came here, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, people used to tell me, oh, Sanjay, it's cold. I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so you grew yeah, exactly. You grew up in a very cold part of the world. So now you have the opportunity to go out in temperate places. It makes total sense. Enjoy the outside. Yes. What kind of advice would you have to that engineer Someone who's similar to yourself, they're working at a company and they got a great idea, but they're not quite sure how to break out and go for it themselves. What, what kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah. So one, I would tell them, look, before you ever even had that idea, or even if you have one now, you have to spread your tentacles outside of your company. You got to get to know in, folks in the industry, uh, CISO, CTOs, whatever your industry is, get to know some of the people who fund you know, these companies in the venture world. Because the reality is that many times it's not your idea, which is going to be the obstacle. It's the ability to get people to believe in it, get funding for it, get people to join your team. And that is not something you want to start when you have your idea. Get all of that networking, interrelationships, understanding, get that framework. So when you have your idea, you have a great platform to then get 
what you need to launch that idea. If you're, if it's too late and you got your idea and you don't have that, find folks like myself, others, mentors, where everybody's more than willing to help in the Valley to get you advice, good, candid, you know, uh, sometimes harsh advice. <laughs> it's one of the great things I think about the Valley and is people are just willing to help you. And, um, and I know it's not how sometimes people perceive it, but there's a lot of people in the Valley who just, you know, they want to help others and, um, and get them connected and, and see them succeed. And you will find people like that. And there's a lot of forums, mentoring forums that where you can get access to that. There you go. Sanjay Barry. He's a sports fan. He's a Leafs fan. He's a Raptors fan. He's Canadian. He loves the outdoors. And his recommendation for anyone who looks is looking to start or pursue an idea or passion that they have is the first step, get to networking, find some peers, find out what's happening outside of the world you know, and uh, start. I guess that's the best place to start, right? Absolutely, yes. And don't hold the uh, leads to the other stuff against me. So, <laughs> Listen, I'm a hockey fan too, but uh, I'm a Carolina Hurricanes fan and a Capitals fan. So we both won cups since you last won cups. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, look, we're, I'm, you know, since I was born in Canada, I'm happy for everybody when they win the cup. <laughs> there, there you go. Sanjay Barry, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your story. And I, I'm, you know, we're hoping you inspire the next wave of entrepreneurs. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.